Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. House will be in order. The yeas are 216. The nays are 210. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. This is an NBC News special report. Here's Lester Holt. Good afternoon, everyone. We're coming on the air with breaking news and a major shift in power on Capitol Hill. The House just voted to remove Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his post. And it's the first time this process has ever successfully removed a House Speaker in American history. It's been an even more turbulent week than usual in the world of American politics. Last night, the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, one of the most influential Republican politicians in America, was ousted from office by members of his own party. It made him the most recent, and perhaps most unlikely, victim of the war in Ukraine. He was booted out after a far-right congressman accused him of doing a deal with President Biden to keep sending military aid to Ukraine. Ukraine has lost the support of a majority of the majority. The last time there was a freestanding Ukraine vote on this floor, it was last week, 101 Republicans voted for it, 117 Republicans voted against it. The move to oust the Speaker followed a tense weekend when the government almost shut down over disagreements on spending, particularly over what's becoming one of the biggest dividing lines in American politics bankrolling the war in Ukraine. Congress has passed a bipartisan bill to keep the government funded and avert a shutdown, at least for now. Now, it increases federal disaster assistance funding, but does not include aid for Ukraine, which, as you know, is a top priority for the White House. Since Russia invaded Ukraine 18 months ago, America has been the biggest donor to the Ukrainian war effort. But with Republican support fading fast, Europe is beginning to panic. On Monday, there was a crunch meeting in Kyiv. European Union foreign ministers are meeting in Kyiv in a show of support following signs that Western resolve may be wavering. But even in Europe, enthusiasm for helping Ukraine 
seems to be flagging. Former Slovakian Prime Minister Robert Fico's leftist party has won Slovakia's parliamentary elections after campaigning on a pro-Russia platform. In his first comments since the vote, Fico said that Slovakia had bigger problems than the war in Ukraine. Has the tide of goodwill for Ukraine turned? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is the West losing patience with Ukraine? I'm Roger Boys. I've written for The Times for decades and decades and decades. I'm the diplomatic editor and I do a weekly foreign policy column. Roger, this weekend, it seemed that the business of government in America might be grinding to a halt. It's managed to plough on and they've come to an agreement over their budgets. The bill is passed and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Congress has reached an agreement to avert a government shutdown. The House passed a short-term spending bill that provides funding to federal agencies for 45 days. Just explain what one of the big issues was that seems to have caused panic in the EU and further afield and seems to be dividing American politicians. I mean... The mere fact that, you know, the American government can't be funded until the appropriate legislation is in place has happened before. The plan had no changes to current spending, but also eliminated money to help the Ukraine war effort. Ukraine, it turns out to be or to have become quite a polarizing element in American politics. The U.S. Congress was forced to drop the financial aid to avert a government shutdown. As you know, we're approaching an election year. And soon, all politics will be electoral politics in the United States for quite a while. And Ukraine is the one foreign policy issue, or the main foreign policy issue, that actually divides the country. If you look at the opinion polling, Americans are losing their enthusiasm for assistance to the war. The war has dragged on too long for them. And more to the point, it's dragged on without a noticeable success, that's to say a victory of some kind. And this is making people impatient. And it's making people mainly impatient on the Republican side. But there are also Democrats who think that there are perhaps other ways of supporting Zelensky and the Ukrainians without necessarily plowing masses of hardware at them. Well, just talk us through those two different sides of the debate, because, you know, as you say, this is one of the few issues where policy for both Republicans and Democrats is really very different. I mean, Republicans think, you know, Cold War era Republicans think this is absolutely the right thing to do. As to say, you can actually outspend the enemy or mm. you can put the enemy in such a financial dilemma that eventually they crack, you have a psychological victory. And the reason they're, they're now turning on this, even these people, is that it hasn't seemed to have changed Putin's behavior. It hasn't made Russia bankrupt. So there, there's that group of people, and mainly Republicans, but also on the Democrat side. 
There are also people on the on the Republican side who say, look, this is a European war and it's really got nothing to do with us. And these people are not being persuaded with sufficient credibility by the political class to say, well, first of all, we're in a NATO alliance and NATO alliance is a transatlantic alliance and therefore that war is our war. The sense of jeopardy is not quite the same as it was at the beginning of the war, whatever it was, 19 months ago. There was a sense that if Putin couldn't be stopped now, then he would perhaps roll over Ukraine and then perhaps threaten NATO directly. And therefore, there was a prima facie case for defending Ukraine because it was part of our defense. And precisely because it hasn't happened like that, people are saying, well, why are we still involved in this? There is no direct threat to NATO members, our allies. The Ukrainians are doing a good job of it, and Russia will get fed up, and that will be the end of the story. And then this costs a lot of money and doesn't all come from the United States by any means. But it is a lot of money. And something that sometimes comes into politics is the sense of ingratitude of the person who's receiving your willingly given aid. Mm. And there's just a feeling that you're being ripped off. You've explained why the Republicans think the way they do. Talk us through the Democrats. Where are they on all of this? They're doing it partly because they know that Trump wouldn't do this. And they would like Biden to win a just war in a good cause and therefore mm. to to inherit some of the halo of Obama. This really is the question that hangs over it all. You know, is this a turning point? Mm. And And it could be, yeah. For both parties? For both parties, yeah. We know it's becoming an election issue already. We, mm. we know that Trump, if he comes in, is likely to oppose aid to Ukraine. Do we think if he wins the next election, it's all over? Will he pull the plug completely? Well, I mean, what he's said on the record is that he can solve it in a day. I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It will be settled quickly. Quickly. I will get the problem solved, and I will get it solved in rapid order, and it will take me no longer than one day. And we know that's not true. But what he means by solving is that he thinks there's a land-for-peace deal to be done, and he will try and bully the Ukrainian leadership into surrendering some parts of the territory. It's not going to happen that way, but it's quite credible that he thinks it will. So he Talk thinks he's going to cut aid and end yeah, the war in a day, but we don't think that's no, going to happen. No, we don't think that, and that's the way to say it. However, you can see that in, in Kyiv, you'd be getting very worried now that there is the prospect in a few months' time, if Trump wins an election, it could be a world of trouble for the sort of support they're getting. At the same time, while it's become a political hot potato in America, it's also causing trouble here in Europe. Mm. Talk us through this. Over the last week, there's been an election in Slovakia, a country that borders Ukraine. Just talk us through who won and what it means for Ukraine. The rule of thumb in this situation is that the further you're away from a war in Europe, the more your interest you are in just ending the war and settling everything. But the people nearby 
are more engaged. But now what's happening is the reverse. Now we have Slovakia, the election of which has been won quite narrowly, but even so definitely won, by a guy called Robert Fico, who's a bit of a thug, really nationalist. Some say he's a leftist nationalist, but above all, it's it's quite a ruthless party. And he's capitalized on resentment about the war and senses that this is the popular mood. We are a peaceful country. We will not send a single round to Ukraine. And we will push for the European Union to use all its weight and support peace talks as quickly as possible. And has now promised not a bullet more for... Not a uh, bullet more. Not a bullet more. That's why he won votes. But it's interesting to win an election on a phrase like no... More bullets. No more bullets. Mm. Yes, it's very graphic. Why is there so much dissatisfaction? Why was that a winning slogan? When you say no more bullets, that's just code for saying let's start peace talks as soon as we can. Why are they being less supportive of Ukraine, though? A lot of these neighboring countries, like Moldova and these countries, they're worried that the war will spread. And it is, you know, I mean, misfired missiles have landed in Poland. They were mistakes, and Russia was very twitchy and because it didn't want a NATO Article 5 collective defense response as a result. But still, it's an uneasy feeling. But it, it's actually not just about bullets. It's about basic protectionist instincts. Because Russia bombed the Black Sea ports or have barricaded them and made normal maritime traffic really difficult and therefore stopped grain sales to the third world or heavily controlled them, they've been coming by rail. Yeah, they've been coming by rail from Ukraine to Slovakia and to Hungary. And the farmers there are incredibly unhappy because this grain is being sold much cheaper than homegrown grain and is forcing local farmers out of business. And since everywhere where there's a nationalist government, it's quite often based on rural rural farmers' votes. And so it's an absolute electoral uh, maneuver. So it's not just no more bullets, it's Stop no flooding. more grain. Yeah, yeah, stop flooding the market. Yeah, stop flooding the market. Ukrainian stop grain. flooding the market. We should say, you know, the countries that you've picked out there, Hungary, Slovakia, we'll talk about Poland in just a second, mm. but all three of them are currently being sued by Ukraine. And they're, no. they're being sued over the grain deal. So those three countries have now refused to accept Ukrainian grain. Yeah. And the Ukrainians are, are suing them over it. And that's obviously going down very badly. Yes, they're being sued, as I understand it, in the World Trade Organization court. But it does anger these countries who are indeed looking after lots and lots of refugees, lots of Ukrainian refugees. And they say, well, and you're suing us? You know what I mean? It's that there was a sense of outrage that goes beyond the farming community to, uh, you know, what do they think they're thinking about? Do you think it's wider than that, though? Do you think across that part of Europe, is, is there a sense of, of fatigue with, with Ukraine? Is there a sense of people lo- losing yeah, patience? I mean, what, what we haven't really talked about yet is Russia. And there are communities within these countries that have looked towards Russia historically yeah, as 
not necessarily as a protector, but certainly as a as a neighbor. And with neighbors, you you reach an accommodation. So you go through Hungary, bits of southern Poland that used to be known as Galicia, Slovakia, and indeed Austria. I call this the Danube Basin. This river served as a political defining lines in the Roman Empire and later then within the Austro-Hungarian Empire. These are quite complex societies and it wasn't that Russia was the enemy for a lot of these people. Russia was trading partners perhaps. But either way, you get the situation now where, okay, in the modern world, Austria, for example, is neutral and therefore we can't expect it to be, you know, sending arms to Ukraine or whatever. But it's also full of complete nests of Russian spies. Yeah? Putin comes, comes to Austria to celebrate the foreign minister's uh, wedding before the war, before the Ukrainian war, but still he felt quite at ease there. They still go skiing. There are a lot of oligarchs still going skiing in Austria. Lukashenko goes skiing in Austria. Yeah? They feel comfortable there. There's never been any real big prejudice against Russians. And that's just Austria. And then we move into Slovakia and we move into Hungary and, and even little bits of Poland, although Poland is much more uh, rigidly anti-Russian than, than the others. Uh, These are all places where Russians regularly do business and, you know, they hope to have a relationship after the war. Trade throughout this whole block was uh, was defined by Soviet Russia. They traded in a currency called the transferable ruble, and and you would have hotels built on the on the Russian model, you know, and uh, they would have trade fairs in which lots and lots and lots of Russians would come over. It's a thread that runs through parts of Europe, and quietly, through a process of osmosis, influences attitudes. And these attitudes are not always pro-Ukrainian. Coming up, if people in Europe and America are starting to turn away from Ukraine, how do they feel about the man running the country? Is the shine starting to wear off President Zelensky? That's in just a moment. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you already have attitudes in some parts of Europe which are not prone to be pro-Ukrainian in terms of this war. And then there's a sense that perhaps Ukraine hasn't been as grateful as it should be. Yes, that's what people do feel. And you can, again, this is an attitude that you can see in America, because America is the biggest donor to Ukraine. And because the demands that come from Ukrainian military come most regularly to the Pentagon and nowhere else. And the Ukrainians don't like feeling uh, as supplicants. They don't feel like they're doing this because they're begging and they're desperate and so on, even though they are. They just feel that they deserve equal treatment or more or less equal treatment because they are a de facto ally. And their, their blood being spilled saves American blood being spilled or British blood. Do you think you're not being grateful enough? I believe that we were always grateful to the UK. We were always grateful to the Prime Minister or to Prime Ministers and the Minister of Defence because the people in the United Kingdom have always supported Ukraine. We're grateful for this. So there is that specific American thing, you know, at least they can say thank you kind of thing. And the neighbours are now feeling this as well. So as we discuss, Slovakia, Poland, Hungary... The thank you comes later in the investment possibilities that could probably be opened up after a, a settlement and in rebuilding contracts. But you know, Ukraine's in a mess, you know. It's not in a situation where it can do any more than saying these empty words, and yet somehow they feel more is wanted from them. Mm. They're dying for the West. That's what they say. And Roger... The UK has been very supportive of Ukraine ever since the war broke out. But even the former Defence Secretary here, Ben Wallace, has been quite critical of Zelensky, you know, with the, the line comparing himself to Amazon, you know, the mm. idea you can't keep giving and that there isn't sort of much gratitude. Is this a sign that perhaps Zelensky's star is falling in the West? Yeah, there was always that danger. And he doesn't have enough people around him to warn him that, that this is... A little bit hubristic, what he's doing. I mean, he's quite careful not to, when he can avoid it, you know, not to appear in the Oscars or, or you know, or to over-glamorize his role or let celebrity go to his head. So I think he's quite, quite smart about that. But the truth is, he's a war leader. So he hasn't got this usual court around him that says, oh, well, such and such won't like this, or so-and-so won't like that, or be careful what you say. No one questions him like that. And it could be that he's difficult to, you know, he's starved of sleep and all these kind of things. So maybe he doesn't want to hear these things. That, that's the other thing. 
<laughs> is it straining his relationships, though, with people like Biden and Rishi uh, Sunak? Well, and, but and how much time leaders? does he actually get with Biden? When he comes over on these trips, he'll get 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then Biden falls asleep, you know. So so it's <laughs> it's kind of... When they come to visit him, they appreciate that he's a war leader, yeah? So he's got very limited time, and so he gets his message across, he listens, he says thank you, and then he gets on, you know, finding out who's bombing whom on the front. And Roger, as support for Ukraine is starting to to suffer in, in the West, it's not as strong as it was before. What's happening on the Russian side of all of this? Is there any sense of wavering support there? Is there any sense that they might pull the plug on some of the resources they're throwing at this war? Mm. Well, I mean, Russia's strength is, of course, that they don't need unwavering support. They're a dictatorship, yeah. yeah, they're an autocracy. What they have done is shift to a war economy. And that means that workers are working double, sometimes even treble shifts or, or a double shift and then a night shift and churning out more weaponry than than we can supply. So that's the first thing. They're outproducing us. All we can hope is that our weapons can be used effectively by the Ukrainians and that their precision, which is better relative to the Russian precision, can be put to best effect. But the truth is they've done okay. You know, we, we sort of wrote them down. Part of the problem was those early failures of the Russians. But it turned out the Russians are quite good adapters. They thought about what had happened and they analyzed what had happened and they've adapted production accordingly. The Russian philosophy is escalate in order to de-escalate. Yeah? So we can probably anticipate a situation where there'll be a big splurge of action from the Russians on different fronts in anticipation of doing some kind of deal, some kind of land deal. And one theory for a while during the war, and I don't think it's completely invalid, is that as a prelude to that, there might be a tactical nuclear weapon attack. Some, somewhere, I don't know, if, if some town gets sieged or some port gets besieged in an almost impossible way that's, that uh, you you do something like that. You make some some big escalation like that, at which point America suddenly focuses and says, okay, right, you know. They don't say exactly what do you want, but they do say, okay, this has got to stop. If you don't stop, this could get really nasty. Not that the Americans will escalate yeah. in that way, but still, they will understand that that's a political message to them. So there are also this is what we have to be attuned to now: the Russians, perhaps, um, getting ready to send us coded messages through their uh, military actions. And Roger. You said earlier that it feels like we could be at a turning point in terms of support for Ukraine. If we are, it feels like there are two potential paths that Mm. open up. Either Ukraine continues to get the support it's had, perhaps even gets more, Mm. or that support does start to dry up in both America and parts of Europe. Talk us through those two scenarios. How do they play out? What happens next? I think... The political point that Ukraine would like to make is that it doesn't want to be a landlocked country. It wants control over the Black Sea. 
because that's what defines it as an international trading nation. You take that away, you're in trouble. Yeah, you, you're basically denying Ukraine's right to function. So Ukraine escalation with Western weapons could, for example, but it would be a big risk, could attack Sevastopol, which is Russia's big naval base in the Crimea. It would challenge Russian authority in that area. And it would be beyond the brink of something really nasty. But it would make Russia think think very, very carefully about what it wants to do, because it's just inches away from a world war. But that's what could happen. It could happen if the Ukrainians were desperate enough, or if the Ukrainians felt they've got nothing to lose anymore because Trump was coming in and there was that would be the end of their arms supplies. Or if their arms supplies anyway were drying up, then maybe that would be a moment to capture the attention of the West. And maybe it would make a useful political point for them, which is that Crimea really is the essence of the Ukrainian state. So will it happen like that? I don't know. That's if they think the supplies they're getting. Yeah, um, yeah. If that, the taps that's are, are being That would be the off. stage of desperation that they might reach if, if everybody says, last, you know, this is our last bullet. It's really how it could go. And if support continues, is this a war they can win? Well, it's continued so far. War always has an element of surprise, yeah. And it doesn't take much, you know, in any war for morale to crack and then for that sense to spread across an army. But nobody knows when that moment comes. So it's a complete gamble. It's a complete gamble. It could have been, you know, on the front line in Donbass, but unlikely. So it it has to be somewhere else where Russians start to flee, yeah, and the Russian political class begins to realize it no longer has the confidence of its army. Mm. That's what Ukraine is gambling on, that that moment will somehow arrive. But it's very difficult to plan for that. I mean, war at a certain stage becomes like a soap opera, yeah? You need a little climax at the end of each episode, a little, you know, fight in the Queen Vic or something, and then something else, and then something else. And then you get that moment, usually, I think, probably just before Christmas episode, yeah. when, <laughs> when you you really want everybody's attention, and then all sorts of things have to come together. Are we close to that? Not sure. Maybe. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, diplomatic editor for The Times, Roger Boys. Roger writes a weekly column on world affairs, and today's is about how Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, could reshape the Middle East. You can either read it in print or at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers today were Edward Drummond and Priyanka Deladia. The executive producers were James Shield and Fiona Leach. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned anything from it at all, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.